rest of us adults in the room. Really? Yeah, I'm included in that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Our scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew. We're in chapter 26, and we will be reading verses 26 through 30. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, I encourage you to follow along in the Pew Bible. You can find it on page 989. Again, that's the Gospel of Matthew. It's the first book in the New Testament, chapter 26, beginning in verse 26. I will tell you this, our praise band is amazing, amen? amen. But, the, but the best praise music any pastor will ever hear is the turning of pages in your Bible on a Sunday morning. It, 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 I, I will wait in that silence as y'all turn. It is one of the most beautiful sounds. So let us hear God's word together. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of, the fr- of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, They went out to the Mount of Olives. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. Please join me in prayer. O holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So, when we're a kid, when we're kids, right, we all have this desire as, as we're getting older, especially as we near the teenage years, that we want to be able to make adult-like decisions in our own lives, right? We want to be able to have control over things we do, places we go, but we, we aren't afforded that in most instances. You know, uh, in my household, I grew, I heard, as long as you live under my roof, right? follow my rules. So some of you have either lived under that rule or have commenced and said those words as a rule. And so, but one of the things we look for is, you know, 18, move out of the house or go to college or move out. And and we get to start making decisions for ourselves, except nobody really warns us of these decisions that are forthcoming, right? There, there's, places to live, how much money to spend here or there. But the biggest and most time-consuming of all is, what am I going to eat at my next meal? I mean, we have to make that decision three times a day. That's 21 decisions a week, 1,095 decisions a year we have to make. What am I going to eat next? And if, and if you have a, a significant other, a boyfriend, girlfriend, a spouse, uh, kids, and then comes the question, well, what would you like for dinner? Oh, yeah. uh, oh I don't care, anything. <laughs> Nobody really never cares, right? And then you got to go through the list. So here's a life hack I'm going to give you. Instead of saying, what would you like? And they say, I don't care. Instead, say, guess where we're going for dinner. And wherever they guess, that's where you go right? 
Easy peasy, make that decision. But I mean, these are all the decisions. So 22 times a week, we have to decide, what am I going to eat? And if you have others in your family, then you have to decide, what are we going to eat? Who's going to make it? What time are we going to eat? All of these things go into us, and it can become very time-consuming. So things uh, we do to get past that, like we will get in a routine of eating Cheerios every day for breakfast, because I don't have to think about what I'm going to eat for breakfast the next day. It's just going to be Cheerios again, right? So, so we will put ourselves in these routines so we don't have to think about things as we go along. Well, before, and, and so eating is a big part of our own lives, right? Eating, 22 decisions a week, almost 1,100 a year. Eating plays an important role in our lives, but it also plays an important role in the totality of Scripture. Before we get into our scripture today, if we take a broad look at what's going on in scripture, we see that eating and, and the word of God and remembering God and his faithfulness go hand in hand. In the very beginning, in the garden, God provided food for Adam and Eve. They tended to the garden, yes, but they did not labor and toil over it. So they were able to pick and eat freely. And then the labor came after the fall, after sin. But if we think about it, if we pay attention here. Sin entered the world by the eating a bite of the forbidden fruit. And then later, as Abraham and his descendants are there in the land of Canaan, and it's becoming the promised land for them from God, there comes a great famine. Right? His descendants enter into this great famine, and so they must leave because there's no food, and they go to Egypt for respite, where they'll later become slaves, and, and God will uh, rain down ten plagues upon the Egyptians in order for Pharaoh to let Moses' people go. And when he does, and they travel through and get through the Red Sea, now they're 40 years in wilderness. 40 years in the wilderness but God provides for them manna to eat. Just enough for each day. Except for the day before Sabbath, they had enough for also the Sabbath to eat. For 40 years, they ate manna going through the wilderness where the Lord provided. And during that time, the Lord then gives them festivals and feast days. He gives them festivals and feast days for them to remember his goodness, to remember that he's the creator, to remember of his faithfulness to them and the salvation that he has provided. So, so he gives them seven feasts that, that not only is eating important, that it's provided by God during this time of the wilderness, but once you are out of this wilderness, there will be seven times a year where you gather for the specific purposes of eating and remembering God. They have the, 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 the feast of Passover, right, which is what Jesus celebrates in our scripture today with his disciples. And, and around the same time is the feast of unleavened bread. The week after uh, Passover is the feast of first fruits. Fifty days later, by saying so in its name, is the feast of Pentecost. And then in the fall, there's, there's three other feasts. There's the Feast of the Trumpets, the Feast of Atonement, which was the one day a year that all of the sins were atoned for until next year. And then there was the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles in which they 
tented up for a week and, and feasted together. And then we go and we begin looking at Jesus' ministry. If we scan through Jesus' ministry, we see that his very first miracle that he performed was at what? A wedding feast. It was at the banquet. It was at the feast part of the wedding in which they're feasting and they're eating around the table and they are out of wine. And so he turns water into wine. His first miracle is at a feast. All through Jesus's ministry, he's out eating with other people. He's eating with Mary and Martha and he's inviting himself into people's homes so that he can eat with them. We see that upon Jesus completing teaching with people, instead of sending people to go eat and find something by themselves, he says to the disciples, no, you give them something to eat. And we get the miracle of the feeding the 5,000. Mark tells us there is another miracle of feeding the 4,000 as well. And then the day before Jesus willingly goes upon the cross, celebrates Passover with his disciples one more time. But it changes everything. Completely changes that feast around and it becomes no longer a feast of Passover but a meal of remembrance of our Savior. But it's not done there. After Jesus' resurrection, so post-resurrection in the Gospel of John, we see Jesus on the beach cooking fish and eating with his disciples as, as he restores Peter after his denial. We, we see in Luke that two disciples, after Jesus has resurrected, the tomb was empty, they're walking to Emmaus, and a man is, is along with them. So they walk with this man, and they're telling him all about Jesus and what he had done and what had happened because he had heard about it. And then at the end of the long day, they reach Emmaus, they reach their destination, and they invite this stranger to come eat with them. And it was upon him taking the bread, blessing it, and breaking it, that their eyes are opened, and they see that Jesus has been with them all along. I mean, this is a, a random meal on a Tuesday night, and they're encountering Jesus with them. Eating is a theme and a setting throughout the Gospels, throughout all of Scripture. But not everyone understood it, right? The Pharisees could not understand and wrap their minds around why Jesus would eat with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes, why Jesus would spend his time in homes of unclean people. They didn't understand it, but Jesus knew what he was doing all along. So not only did the Pharisees not understand why Jesus would spend his time with unclean people, Peter in Acts, he, he struggled being a Jewish person between clean food and unclean food. And there in Acts 9, he is, he's corrected on that by, by the Lord himself and reveals to them, why do you call unclean something that I made? And it opens up Peter's eyes. So not only is there no longer clean and unclean food, but there is no longer clean and unclean people who are not deserving of the gospel and his ministry changes for both the Jews and the Gentiles going forth. If that hadn't changed for Peter, if the Lord had not done that, you and I 
aren't here. And then the most beautiful of all, Jesus loved to teach in parables. And one of his, his, his great parables is the way that he describes eternity. And he does so as the great wedding feast. The great wedding feast. The, the, the day that we get in heaven will be a day in which is celebrated and rejoicing as if there had been a wedding ceremony just completed that we will enjoy it there with the Father. It's, it's why Jesus says, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine until I drink it new with you in heaven. It's the next time we get to celebrate with Jesus. Eating and scripture, they go hand in hand. And so the Apostle Paul, if we know one thing about the Apostle Paul is, if eating and scripture go hand in hand and eating is part of our lives, Paul is gonna give us instructions on the proper way to do it right? And so he does that to the Corinthians, a bunch of heathens there in, in Corinth, and they, they need a lot of help with it. And so he tells them in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. This means that every time we eat and drink, we have an opportunity to put the gospel on full display. So I can confess that of the 21 meals I eat every week, more times than not, I'm not thinking of the glory of God while I'm eating Cheerios. And I believe if we spent more time around tables talking about our lives through the lens of the gospel, our world and the very world around us would be very different. You know, they, I, I know the rules. When we have people over to share a meal with, a dinner on a Tuesday night, a random Tuesday night, or maybe it's a holiday, family, mixed company, you don't talk politics and religion. Well, I think we need to talk about Jesus. Eating is such a large part in scripture, it's easy to talk about. It's easy to remember that when we grab that dinner roll and break it, that yeah, Jesus is with us. That yes, despite my forgetfulness and despite my own sinfulness, not because of what I have accomplished, but what of, because of what Christ has accomplished, I'm forgiven. Every time we drink from a cup, we remember with hope of the great banquet in which we get to drink from the fruit of the vine new with Christ in heaven. Every time we eat and drink, Paul tells us, do it for the glory of the Lord. So one of the things we do every time we gather for worship, 
as we come to the table together. It's not just a mere symbol up here behind me, but it is an actual thing we gather around. We have a meal together. We break bread together and we drink from the cup together. We share a meal once a week. And over the last two years, we've all learned a lot about ourselves, about our own faith, about our families, about our beliefs. And I, and I know one thing I learned was that it is undoubtedly true that we are in desperate need to be in community with one another. Not just to be in community, to be in the same space, but there's something about having a meal together in which we share our lives with each other. We share our celebrations, we share our joys, but it's also easier to share our vulnerabilities and our pain and our failures when we're around the table together. Because when we're around the table together, we can remember Jesus and the bread and the cup. See, we were never meant to be separated or quarantined or holed up on all on our own, but to be together. He knows we need that table together. And here at communion, when we come to this table, when we walk down this aisle and we pick up the bread and the cup and we return to eat together, it is the culmination of the gospel fully on display. If you hear nothing else when you are in worship on Sundays by holding this bread and holding this cup, you hold on to the truth of Jesus. See, the Lord gave us this meal for healing, for unity, for remembering the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel, which is this, it's not about what I can do for myself, but here at this table, we remember exactly what Christ did for us. We couldn't do it on our own. The only thing we contributed to this meal, to our salvation, is our sin and very need for it. And so God provided. Here in our scripture, we see Jesus at the Passover meal with his disciples, blessing and breaking the bread, giving it to them and saying, take, eat, this is my body. As he does, no one there around the table that night assumed that that was Jesus' actual body, but they understood that Jesus, as the bread of life, was sacrificing his so that we may have life abundant. And then by taking the cup and giving thanks, he said to them, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. See, here they were. They were at the, the feast of Passover, this, this meal in which they're celebrating, this meal in which they explicitly tell the story of Passover, of their salvation from Egypt. They tell the story of the ten plagues. They tell the story of the blood of the, blood of the lamb upon their doorpost. They tell of their deliverance by God at this meal. And it's there that Jesus says, by giving them this cup, 
that his blood to be shed on the cross is for the forgiveness of sins, that he is the true and better Passover lamb, that Jesus is the true and better Adam, the true and better Abraham and Moses and David, that Jesus is the one we need. It's at this meal with these words that Jesus declares boldly that he is our Savior. This meal matters. It's more than just routine. And as I think about it, we did our math incorrectly earlier. For us, we have 22 meals a week. We have 22 meals a week. And what Paul said, whether we eat or drink, we do this for the glory of the Lord, isn't just for this one meal, but to redeem the remaining 21 in the week. Tell his story. Amen.